Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Good to be with you this uh, Sunday morning. Uh, We are concluding our series today, as uh, Pastor Charlie uh, stated. Uh, For those of you tuning in, maybe uh, new to New Beginnings, I'm Jim Del Campo. It's good to be able to minister to you today. Um, I'm the senior pastor, and uh, we've been in this series called Go. And it's been a challenge to us, hopefully, to reignite us to share our faith to a world that is desperate need of Jesus Christ. Now, this last message that will be taken out of Jonah chapter 4, if you're following along in your Bible or whatever kind of app you have for your Bible, Jonah chapter 4 is where you're going to be. But we have a few things before that. Um, We're going to talk about true love. And when you think about true love, how do you measure something that is um, immeasurable? How How do you do that? I mean, my mother, great mom, she told me many times that she loved me. And I believed her. But uh, how, do I, how do I measure that? How, how do you measure true love? Well, I mean, as followers of Christ, don't we say that we love people? But how do we measure that? If you really think about it. Jesus said that uh, as far as love goes, the greatest love is to lay your life down for someone else. That's maybe a great application of the highest ethic, which is the love, love of God. I mean, a New Testament writer by the name of Paul, he would add that he wants us to be rooted and grounded in love and to know the love of Christ. I mean, if you think about that, he wants the foundation of our faith to be, uh, to be love and to know that love of Jesus Christ. And then he adds it surpasses knowledge. I mean, we can grow in all the scriptures we want and we can be able to quote you know, 10, 12 verses in a certain area easily, but do we have love? And so love becomes this highest ethic, and uh, it's something that's very difficult to measure. In fact, Jesus made this statement in John 3.16 about love. It's a well-known verse. You probably know it by heart, but he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And, you know, that that verse, when you think about that opening line, for God so loved the world, how do you measure so? I mean, it's a little two-letter word, but how do you measure it as in God so loved the world? You know, you really can't measure these things. And so I want to instead make a turn, and I want to look at the object of God's for so God loved, the object of God's love, and that is the world, and that is people, and that is all people, not just a certain group of people. God loves everyone. Now, I want you to think now, because as we finish this, we're going to take a hard look at some problems in Jonah's life. But we're to love people. Jesus said this. Now, if you remember in our last series, The Last Call, Uh, It was a series on the end times. And one of the messages was, um, what will the world look like right before the rapture of the church? And Jesus is very clear. 
And uh, in Matthew chapter 24, a New Testament gospel, Jesus says that a couple of the characteristics are that we would see nation against nation. The Greek words are ethnos against ethnos. And I explained to you, you'd see ethnicity against ethnicity. And you see that all over the world. And it's, not, it's everywhere now. Um, but the other thing that he added to that was, among other things, was that the love of many will grow cold. Now, he wrapped it all up in the, um, in the idea that these things would be happening like the birth pangs of a woman. Well, if you've ever watched a woman in labor, it intensifies the closer she gets to birth. And so we're seeing the intensification of these things as we're hurtling closer towards the rapture of the church. But I find it fascinating when it comes to love. He said the love of many will grow cold. That's interesting to me. And that ethnos would be against ethnos. That's divisive. So what I think he's telling us, one of the messages in there is this. I can fan the flames of love as a follower of Christ, or I can fan the flames of division. You know, it's one or, it's one or the other. Um, and we've got to think like that. But think of what he said, the love of many will grow cold. In other words, that the closer we get to the end, uh, toward the rapture, that love, the love of God, not just any love, but the love of God will be in, in very short supply. It will be scarce, a scarce commodity. Now, you and I both know when something is a scarce commodity that people seem to want to get the last bit of it and there's a real um, intensification of energy and effort to get what's now a scarce commodity. He says, and, if you th- and going back in time, I'm dating myself. Some of you remember Cabbage Patch Dolls? I remember that when Vanessa was a baby, these things hit the scene and everybody had to have them, have them and there weren't enough. And people were going nuts over this Cabbage Patch doll because it was in scarce supply. It was, there were not very many of them. Some of you remember back in the 70s, as I do, when they lied to us twice in the 70s and told us that the world was running out of fuel and we got in those long gas lines because we thought that this might be the last tank of gas we would ever get. And we dumped all of our muscle car gas-eating cars And we've got all those little gas saver cars, which we didn't want to drive. But they lied to us. They instilled fear in us. And that's what they do at times. And that's just the way things are. But because we thought fuel was scarce, the lines were long and everybody had to have that thing that was in short supply. What if? What if maybe we as church people, we have that one thing that is scarce, that is in short supply, and that is true love, and that's the love of God. And what if we took that, that love, that God's love, and we began to splash it around because there's not much of it in the world today? What if we did just that? Well, today, in this last message, I want to look at how God's true love is manifested or applied or given to the maybe evilest, if that's a word, evilest, evilest people 
on the planet at that time, in the time of Jonah. They're the Assyrians. They live in Nineveh. And they're the worst of the worst. Now, before we get into all that, because we've covered it for three weeks, I want to get into our, our verse, key verse for the series. So if, wherever you're watching from, if you can, please say this out loud with me. It's on your phone. You'll see it on your screen there. I'll read it. Read it out loud with me. Here we go. One, two, three. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And every week I've told you, it makes perfect sense, the sequence. It's a great little message. If you back up to one previous verse, it says, All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's the goal. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. But he says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then in verse 14, as we read, he says, how can they call on him who they don't believe? And, and how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And, and, and they've never heard about him because there's no messenger, no one's preaching, no one's sharing. And see, so we need to share so that they can hear. And then once they hear, they can believe and once they believe, they can call on him. And once they call on him, they can be saved. It's a great verse. Now, we've taken that verse, and we've reduced it to one phrase and one statement. And the statement is this. Say it with me together. If we don't go, how will they know? Say it one more time. If we don't go, how will they know? So, today we're going to talk on chapter 4 of Jonah, and we're talking about true love. Because true love is the highest ethic of God, and God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to give you three things today, and I'm going to drive it hard home at the end, and hopefully this makes sense as we go along. The first thing I want to say is this. First off, true love is exercised at the expense of judgment. And it always is. Maybe you've never thought of it like that, but true love is always exercised at the expense of judgment. Let me read Jonah chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. And it says this. Now, the people of Nineveh have repented at the message. Verse 1 says, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Wow. He's mad that people got saved. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Now, Jonah's mad. Jonah's angry. And you know the word um, anger there, when it started off, he's angry. It literally is the idea that he's so angry that it's making him sick inside. Isn't that crazy? He's so angry at these people 
have turned and repented, but it's made him sick inside. So bad that he wants to die again. Remember he wanted to die earlier on that ship when the tiny ship was tossed? Remember that? But why is he so angry? Because he wanted the Assyrians that live in Nineveh, he wanted them judged for what they've done. That's what he wanted. But instead, here comes God. Here comes this loving God, the God that you and I follow, the God, the God that you and I should emulate. Here comes God. God exercises love, compassion, and mercy at the expense of judgment. And that's exactly what God did. Now, I want you to think, these verses we read, we find out about an earlier conversation between Jonah and God that we didn't find out at the beginning, but it did take place at the beginning. Jonah, in these verses that we read, he says this. He says, God, this is what we talked about. This is what I was telling you about before I ran. I knew you would spare them. I knew you would do that. And that's why I ran, because I didn't want them spared. I wanted them judged. And then he says, and I want to die over that. <laughs> really? You want to die over that, huh? Wow. Why does Jonah want to die? Why does Jonah want to die? I'll tell you why. Because God exercised love and mercy at the expense of judgment. The same way that Jesus did for us on that cross. The same way that he took your sins and mine. Took our punishment. He took our judgment. And we in our puny little faith want judgment all over the place, don't we? He took our sin, took our judgment, took our punishment. And as we read those verses in verse 2, he gives us the motivation of God. You know what the motivation is? Compassion. Jonah says it. I knew you were compassionate. When Jesus walked around, read it next time in the Gospels, he'd see people and he felt compassion. The word compassion, that Greek word in the New Testament, means he's gutted. He feels it deeply. He feels for people because he loves people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is true love. You got to have the right motivation. And the right motivation is compassion. To reach lost people. Let me, let me put it in a different context to understand it. Because many times when I put it in the God context like that, we've been Christians so long, we just let it slide right by and we don't get it because we're so filled with the wrong things because we're reading in the wrong places spiritually. Now, think of it like this. Motivation. Let's say I come home with a box of chocolates for Olivia. Okay, forget that. Let's say I come home with a $100 gift card to Kohl's for Olivia. You know, that's more like, I think, what she'd like. And she's happy. And she says something like, oh, Jim, you really shouldn't have, you know, you're such a great husband, which I already knew. At least I think I know. And then she says this, why did you do this? Now, what is she expecting me to say at that moment when she says, why did you do this? She's expecting me to say, because I love you, babe. But what if I said, well, I did it because as a husband, it's my duty. 
At that moment, everything just goes sideways. And now the fight's on because now she discerns it. You didn't do this because you love me. You did this because you had to do that. And now at that moment, I know that I'm not going to get Olivia's homemade tacos and homemade hot sauce and guacamole. Now I know I'm the dumbest husband on the planet. I know that now. Because I did it out of duty, not out of love. What went wrong? Motivation. My motivation was wrong. And just like Olivia can discern the wrong motivation in me, you better believe the world out there can discern the wrong motivation in us. You better believe the co-workers and everybody, they're all watching us. They're watching our motivations. Do we really have compassion? Is our effort to see them come to Christ really born out of a true care for people? Is it born out of love? Or is it just a duty? Because if it's a duty, they're going to sniff us out as just phonies. See, God... God's love and mercy, which is carried out at the expense of judgment, the motivation is compassion. It's compassion. And we need to emulate that and live that because we carry the DNA of God. His seed lives in us. And that's exactly what the New Testament teaches. That's the most scarce commodity, this true love born out of compassion. And we should be the ones carrying it to this world. Jonah has none of it. Jonah doesn't like those people. Now, the second thing is this. True love dies at the hands of revenge. Now, I'm going to read verse 1, verse 4 and 5, and verse 9. Watch. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Verse 4 and 5. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Isn't that a great question? Do you really have a good reason to be angry? By the way, New Testament teaches... The anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And you may say, oh, Jim, I have a righteous anger. I guarantee there's not a human on this planet can figure out if they have a righteous anger or not. Only God can figure that out if you truly have that righteous anger. So don't use that because you're justifying yourself. Verse 5, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the, in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Oh, really? Verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Because we'll talk about the plant later on. And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Whoa. Now, three times God points out that Jonah is extremely angry. And he goes out and he sits east of the city. You know why? He's hoping for fireworks, man. He's hoping for a missile to come down and wipe those people out. He doesn't like these people. Jonah wants justice. Or so he thinks. You know what he really wants? Revenge. He wants revenge for what these Assyrians have done to his people, how they invaded, how they killed, how they carried off people, done it to his relatives, to his friends. He wants revenge. 
<clears throat> for what they've done. Guys, you ever watch a movie where there's a, a villain? And man, that villain is working you up so bad, and man, you just, you don't want that villain just to die a quick death. You really want him to suffer, don't you? Be honest. <clears throat> but that's not justice, that's revenge. You know what we tend to do? We tend to confuse justice and revenge as a society. Jonah confused it. <clears throat> but you know what revenge does? It kills the, for God so loved the world in us. Revenge kills the Jesus Christ in us. Now listen to me very good. I'm going to share a verse now that I'm going to use two more times in the next series coming up. The next series is going to be hard-hitting, very impactful. But I'm going to use this two more times because, we say, Jim, why two more times? Because we don't get it. We hear it one time, we think we got it. Yeah, well, no, we don't get it. None of us get it. Why do you think Jesus had to state that he's going to Jerusalem, they're going to take him, they're going to torture him, they're going to crucify him, they're going to kill him, why do you keep saying that over and over again? Because they didn't get it. In fact, even when it happened, they still weren't getting it. We don't get it. It takes a while to get into our little thick skulls here. Now watch. This is what happens when we confuse justice with revenge. Amos 6.12. He says, Do horses run on rocks? No. Or does one plow... Them with oxen, you don't plow rocks because you end up with rocks. Yet you have turned justice into poison. And the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Wormwood means bitterness. Listen to what he's saying. Because I touched on this last week when I went off topic for a second in the Micah 6.8 section. When we carry out justice with bitterness and we get justice, what are we left with? Bitterness. You plow rocks, you're going to end up with rocks. Because it wasn't justice we really wanted. We wanted revenge. And make no mistake about it, a civil society needs justice. And even God carries out eternal justice. But you've got to carry out justice the way God carries it out, in love and with love. <clears throat> Otherwise, love keeps dying at the hands of bitterness and revenge. You carry out justice when it's really revenge in your heart, when it's really bitterness in your heart, when it's anger. And if you get justice, all that you're left with is bitterness, anger, and, and hate. And you get to splash that onto your families. You get to give that to everyone because you know that's not the gospel, is it? Not at all. Look, you know what the big question is in this thing for Jonah and for us? Are we carrying bitterness? Do we have a revengeful heart? Because if we are, it's killing the for God so loved the world in us. It's killing Jesus. And so we need to guard our hearts. 
Christian, you need to guard your heart. Look what it says in Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says this. Watch over your heart with all diligence, <clears throat> for from it flow the springs of life. Um, there's a flow that comes from my heart. It's true of every person. And you got to make sure your heart's right so the flow's right. Okay, you guys know I'm a backpacker. I go to the high Sierras. I've been going 41 years, full backpack on my back. People say, oh, you're a camper. No, I'm not a camper. I'm a backpacker. I, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't like camping because if I'm camping in a tent on vacation, there's a hotel one mile away. Why am I going to be in a tent? I want a bed with a remote. Any amens out there? I heard that amen. I'm a backpacker. It's different. I carry everything on my back, 40 pounds. We take a troop every year from New Beginnings. Every year we go. And um, we have a great time. Climb up in the high Sierras. Now, there's some things that the newbies have to learn. No matter how they are, if they've never done it before, you learn this, and we teach them. I take these two uh, pretty good-sized plastic uh, water-collapsible containers in the pack. When we get there, you know, we open them up. There's no water in them. But you've got to camp by a river, some kind of flowing water, because you need water. And you're miles in the backcountry in the high Sierras. And it's beautiful up there. Now, we teach them, when you go get water, go to that stream. And where that water's coming over a rock, it's flowing hard. That's where, on the bottom side, you catch the water flowing in. Then you bring that water back to camp. In my pack, I have bottles of iodine little tablets. They're water purification pills. I drop them in there. Further trying to purify that water of any single-celled little whatever thing in there. I don't know how to pronounce it, what they are. It's like a gurdita, whatever. But if you catch one of those, if you don't kill those things, it's going to make you sick. It's going to make you feel really bad. And they're going to be a flow from you that ain't fun if you catch my drift. And so you got to get to the right place. you got to purify it. And some people carry their own little containers that purify itself. It's a really cool process now, the things they have. I just still do it the old school way. Listen. <clears throat> you can always tell a Christian whose water is stagnant or the water is flowing, man. You can always tell. When a Christian is stagnant, hate, bitter, angry, unforgiving, revengeful. And by the way, Romans chapter 12 says, do not take revenge, leave revenge in the hands of God. That's what it says. You can always tell the difference between a stagnant Christian and a Christian where Jesus said, from your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. It's easy to tell ourselves justice when it's really revenge we want. And if it's really revenge and you have anger and hate, once you get justice, that's all you're left with. Anger, hate, revenge. And you're going to pass it to your family. And you're going to be a Christian where people go, that guy's stagnant. There's no for God so love the world in that person. You want to be a flow of the love of God. That's what you want. That's what Jonah doesn't have. That's what Jonah confused. Because he hated those people so much for what they've done in the past to, to his family and friends and everybody else. He's angry with those people. 
Now, the third thing is this, and I want to drive this one home. True love is truly expressed when we are fully known. This is important. True love is truly expressed when we are fully known. This is probably one of the greatest qualities of God, and he's got some great ones. And we have to have this quality in ourselves for, in, for evangelism. True love is truly expressed when we are fully known. Now, <clears throat> if you think about it, what was Jonah's complaint in verse 2? He says to him, I told you before why I ran. I don't like them. And they deserve to be judged, God. They deserve to be judged. And I knew they'd repent, and I knew you'd forgive them, and I knew you'd let them off the hook, and I want nothing to do with this. I wanted nothing. That's why I ran. I wanted revenge is what I wanted. <laughs> why does Jonah feel this way? It's a very simple answer that you need to think about. He feels this way because he knows the real them. Oh, he knows what those people are really like, the real them. Who else knows the real them? God. God knows the real them, and God loves them, and Jonah hates that. You know, if I just lock this one down, if I just lock this one down, it, it would increase my ability to witness to others. My effectiveness would be elevated. At least I know my close relationships would be a lot better if I chose to love even though I know the real them. Now, I like to take these principles of God and put them in different application or different scenarios because otherwise we've heard this so much it just goes right by us, some of us. We build up such a scar tissue. We, we, go, we nod yes, but yeah, we're not going to do this. So let me put in different application. <clears throat> know the real them and still love them. That's what God does. <clears throat> Everyone desires intimacy with someone, correct? You would say, well, not me, Jim. Okay, whatever. You're the only one on the planet. I get it. But here's the problem with desiring real intimacy in relationships. Our problem is we project an image. And once we start projecting an image in a relationship, it's an image that we think people will accept, but the problem is that that person in a relationship with, guess what they fall in love with? The image, not the real. Do you know that's why famous, rich people who have all the luxuries and have a zillion followers on whatever social media platform, that's why they can be the loneliest people on the planet because it's all image. People are following an image. The paparazzi, you ever seen those pictures where they follow around some started poor girl and they catch her without makeup and the hair's all whatever and then like you, they show you the before and after and you're like Yamahama, you know, you know what I mean? They, they give you the real image. They give you the real versus the image that's projected, I should say. Now, where did this whole idea come from? Where did we learn to project image instead of the real came from Genesis 3, where everything came from. Adam and Eve sin. And what do they do? They get fig leaves. They sow them. We, they were, they were created in the image of God. 
And now they got to take on a new image. They need to project what they think that person they're in a relationship with will accept. So what do they do after they sin? They cover up. And all the, and the cover-up began, and it's been going on since that time. They project an image, and they hide the real. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. True love is expressed, and it's only truly expressed when we are fully known, and God fully knows us. If the relationship you're in, if the marriage you're in, if you are continuing to get to know the real person and you still love them, that's a healthy relationship. You continue to love them as you know the real them, weaknesses and all. Because true love is truly expressed when we are fully known. And everybody wants that. Question. Does God love us that way? Yeah, absolutely. He knows my sins. He knows your sins. He knows your failures. He knows your abuses. He knows your lies. He knows your deceit. He knows your anger. He knows your bitterness. He knows your revenge. He knows all those things, and he still loves you. He knows the real you, and he still loves you. Because true love is truly expressed when we are fully known. As we close this series, there's a big question. It's a big question because it's about reaching lost people. I've got a decision to make. Will I love like God or will I judge like Jonah? Which is it? Which one am I going to do? Because if I love like God, I'm going to love people no matter what. If I judge like Jonah, well, I'm going to walk around bitter, angry, revengeful, because that's all I have left in my life. Which one am I going to do? And the world's going to sniff it out. Now, I'm going to read Jonah chapter 4, verse 6 through 11, and drive this last thought home. It says this. So the Lord appointed a plant. God appoints a plant. Because Jonah's on the side of the city, remember? And the sun's beating down on him. He appoints a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. First time he's happy. Jonah has a plant grow over him, blocks the sun, and he's ecstatic. This is great, I got a plant. And then, of course, verse 7. But God appointed a worm. <laughs> When dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. Now, I've always imagined to myself a couple of things. Can you imagine God says, hey, a worm, go do that. And the worm's like, ah, that worm, can you, I don't know, something like that. The worm just destroys the plant, eats it up. Isn't that something that God could use a worm? You ever feel like a little worm in this world? God can use you. There's a great story. There's a great teaching there, isn't that? And so the worm attacks the plant, and the plant dies. Verse 8, and it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind. Now God said, we're going to make it a little hotter on you, Jonah. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul, 
to die, saying, death is better to me than life. He wants to die again. All he wants to do is die. (laughs) Then God said to Jonah, and here's the lesson. God does that for an object lesson to Jonah. He says, Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry even to death. Whoa. Verse 10. Now watch what God says. Then the Lord said, you had compassion. Oh, there it comes again, the proper motivation for love and mercy, compassion. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow which came up overnight, perished overnight. Then God says, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand? That means those are just the children. As well as many animals. Whoa. Let me tell you what's going on here. And we need to watch this if we're going to reach lost folk. Jonah's problem is misplaced compassion. As the story closes, God causes a plant to grow up over Jonah to shade him. First time he's happy. First time in the story he's happy. Then God sends a worm, kills a plant. Then Jonah's mad again. And then God says, you had compassion on the plant. But listen to what he said. You didn't create the plant. You had nothing to do with its creation, nothing to do with its life, nothing, Jonah, nothing. Yet you had compassion on it. And then God says, should I not have compassion on these people, these Assyrians, who, yes, I know what they've done. I know what they've done in the past. I know that they did to your fellow Jewish people. I know what they did to some of your family members. I know what they did. Should I not have compassion on them? Because they're created in the image of God, as every human is. Listen, what's going on here in this misplaced compassion is Jonah has more compassion for an object than for humans. You know, we Americans can fall into that easily. More compassion for what we own, what we have, than for humans. Let's say you bought a new car, brand new car. You're all, you're all happy. Smell, new car smell. You don't even have to get that, that little fake smell to keep new car smell. It just it has the new car smell. First week, somebody, boom, hits you. Big old dent in your brand new car. It's wrecked. And man, you're just not, it's, it's, guys, it's like, it's terrible. You feel terrible. And you know, that, and that's normal because brand new, I mean, at least give me a couple months before I get a scratch. But you feel terrible because it's wrecked. It's fine to feel that way. But the question of the end of Jonah here is, How do you feel when you see a wrecked life in need of God? 
How do you feel when you see a wrecked life in need of God? I'll leave you with that question. Do we have more compassion for objects or for humans? You know, it's crazy. We don't know if Jonah repented. We, we don't know if he started to, for God to love the world, if he didn't, started, if he started living that way. We don't know. We don't know if he went back home and just filled with rage and resentment and anger and hate and spread that to everybody else around him because he wanted revenge. We don't know. I don't know if he repented and went home and it's like he's filled with the joy of the Lord. I don't know. But if we're going to reach this world for God, we've got to do it God's way because they'll sniff us out fast. We've got to be look at every person on the planet and see the real them, sin, baggage, abuses, what they've done, and truly love them. It's just that simple. That's what true love does. For God so loved the world. We're the ones that carry that scarce commodity. There's no other hope for this planet but us, Christians. You can't put this message to the side. We're the only hope. The only hope. Now, maybe you're listening to me today, and somebody said, hey, come and watch this crazy preacher. And you heard some things in here that maybe you never knew about God, or maybe you did, I don't know. That God loves the real you. Isn't that good to know? Not the projected image of you, but the real you, because he knows everything about you. And he loves you, truly. And he wants to save you, meaning he wants to forgive you of your sins. He doesn't want you to be judged. He wants you saved. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And he lived out true love by going to a cross and taking your sin and mine, our punishment, our hell. That's what he did. That's what true love does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God wants to save you because God loves you. He wants to change your life. See, God has compassion. That's his motivation. And he pours out love and mercy on us. And I'm going to give you the, the love and mercy of God right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or maybe you backslid. And as a Christian, you probably know what that means. As a person who once followed Christ, you probably know what that means. It's time to come back. It's time to get it right. It's time to change your heart. Let God change your heart because you can't. So I'm going to give an opportunity to those of you that have never placed your faith in Christ and those who have walked away and want to come back. I want you to repeat this prayer. I want you to repeat this prayer. You're going to call on the name of the Lord like that opening verse, our key verse. I'm going to say it in short blocks. You repeat it out loud after me. If you're around people there, you feel kind of funny saying it out loud. It's okay. Say it in your head. 
But after we're done, you tell them, I prayed that prayer. I put my faith in Jesus as my Messiah, as my Lord and my God, my only God. So repeat this prayer out loud after me. Putting your faith in Jesus as the one who came to save you. God in the flesh. Here we go. Repeat now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for loving me. Even though you know everything about me, you still love me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for shedding your blood to forgive my sins. Forgive me of all my sins. And I believe today they are all forgiven. You took them all on your body on that cross. Thank you for rising from the dead to give me new life, resurrected living. Thank you. Today, I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Now I'm going to pray for you. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your head wherever you're at out there. Let me pray. God, I just pray. And for those who said this prayer, either the, for the first time or in rededication, I pray that you will follow Jesus with everything you've got. You're not going to be perfect on this planet. That's why you need the blood of Jesus to forgive you. None of us are perfect. But you're going to grow now that you place your faith in him. I would hope and pray that you would begin to understand the love and the grace and the mercy of God, how it's been poured out upon you, and that's your new DNA, to pour that on others. I pray that you forgive others. I pray you let go of things that you've been holding on for so long that you let that baggage go. The same way Jesus let it go on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. I pray that you start on the road now becoming a whole person, conforming to the image of Christ. And I thank God for you because you have been created in the image of God and now you begin your life conforming to the image of Christ, the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.